I'm Sue Brain, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to this second series of Embracing Your Mortality. I have a fantastic lineup of guests, all of whom are speaking from their hearts about what it means to them to be living more consciously for a better world. Some are deeply involved with building community and working with environmental issues. I remember feeling like always having a strong sense that I'm supposed to do something important in the world. Some speak about death and dying. I can only see that it can help us to be more in contact with life when we're also able to talk about death. Others are holistic doctors and healers. One is involved in helping children to understand their feelings. I just didn't want other children to have to go through those struggles and another is championing women in business. And I'm most grateful to Colin Gilbert's family who've given their permission to publish his interview about dying, which I did with him shortly before his death. Once I found myself with a cancer, I had all these tools laid out for me. Tools of mind, body and spirit, all of these had opened up and they were already there in my life. If you haven't already, don't forget to listen to the first series of Embracing Your Mortality podcasts. Links to my guests in both series can be found on my website, suebrain.co.uk. Even though we're going through really challenging times, I hope all these conversations from both series inspire you to embrace your mortality so you too can live more consciously for a better world. Misha Norland began working in the film and television industry, but after he discovered homeopathy while researching a television series on the new age, he knew he'd found his calling. He's now been practicing homeopathy for 40 years he became a founder member of the Society of Homeopaths and head of homeopathic research at the first UK homeopathic college. Misha has taught, lectured and spoken all over the world and was the original founder of the School of Homeopathy. It's the question, isn't it? Whatever somebody dedicates their life to, you want to know, well, what happened before? I wanted to make a movie about what was going on um, in the late 60s and early 70s. I went to Richard Corson, who was the head of BBC Documentaries, and said, hey, why don't you do a series about the new age? And he said, well, it takes several years to set up a series, but by the time we've set it up, the new age will have passed. And I say, yeah, but maybe it won't. Let, let me just write some treatments. So I started writing treatments for documentaries for the BBC. That was the idea. And I went to see people mm. in the field. And I met some really interesting people. And along that trail of talking to people, I heard about homeopathy and a light bulb turned on. Because they said, you know, it's, it's based upon the principle that like cures like. So what can cause harm mm. can also cure that harm. It's, a, it's about switching the polarity. And I said, well, absolutely, of course, that's got to be true. That's a perfectly reasonable uh, law in nature. We see it all the time. Everything works in that way. That, that had inspired me. Let's look at this and, and what is behind it. And so 
what you discover as you start looking is that various people have assembled viewpoints and, and uh, systems whereby to explain what this world is about. And the ones that were particularly interesting to me were ones that linked the spiritual world with the physical. Now, I could see that this, that this uh, was, was something that could, that could work. I hadn't seen it working, but I could see the principle could work. So oh, also at the person I was interviewing had some diagrams, lots of diagrams as on her walls and, you know, along with decoration. So there were some that particularly took my interest. I said, who did these and what do they represent? And she said, they represent thought forms. Uh, I said, okay, who did them? And she said, they were done by John Damonte. I just left that there for the time being. Okay. Um, homeopathy, where could I read about it? She said, well, the, uh, there's a book by John Clark called The Dictionary of Materia Medica. Maybe you can start there. I went to Foyles, who didn't have it. Foyles said you could go to Watkins Bookshop. I went into Watkins. They said, no, we don't have it. We can order it for you. So I said, great. We'll let you know when it arrives. Three months later, I got a postcard from Watkins saying, your books are here. You can come and collect them. So I went to Watkins Bookstore and discovered that there were three fat volumes. I mean, fat volumes of what should on the face of it be really inaccessible specialist information, full of medical jargon and other things that were weird. I, I went to the, to the back of the store and I said, can I, can I just be with these for a minute before I pay for them and walk out with them? I need to know this is really what I want and whether I want to spend my money on this. They were expensive. I went into the back of the store and got lost in them for an hour or something like that. And then I said, I'll have them. And I took them home and I read Materia Medica, which is the description of how medicines act in, on human beings, like Agatha Christie. So at nighttime, I'd go and read a remedy. I was totally blown away by it. If I had not had a previous interest in things biological, medical, and indeed in the principles that govern behavior, which you know, is like the broader picture, I think I would not have got those books, but they were just right for me given my background. Now, that was it. I've been bitten by the bug, and um, then I had to try it out. And it works, homeopathy. You know, it really works. In acutes, it's astonishing, because acutes, they're very, very powerful and short-lived, and you really see when, whether something is changing within minutes sometimes. And homeopathy just does that. You go, did I just see that? I found my life purpose. It had found me. So no oh. more filmmaking into no homeopathy more, no more filmmaking how did you train because was there training yeah, yeah. really available in those days not really what happened was that at that time in the very early 70s people could set up shop i heard about this man called john de monte the same one that i had met by the diagrams he'd made that were on the wall he lived round the corner from my parents he started up um, what i suppose you could call evening classes but they weren't every evening. They were just uh, once a month. It wasn't enough, but it was something. He started teaching. And then I had the books. And the founder of homeopathy, called Samuel Hanuman, has written a very big book about the principles of homeopathy. He called it the Organon of Medicine. Like Hippocrates has an Organon of Medicine. So he's you know, saying, hey, I've got another one. It was a little more recent. Hippocrates is two and a half thousand years ago, isn't it? <laughs> it was, was 250 years ago. 
When you say with homeopathy that the symptoms are the person's library, I love that language. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And out in nature, there is, if you like, a language or a library that talks to that, that human, the symptoms. Can you say a little bit more about that? Because a lot of people don't understand how homeopathy actually works. Okay, I would love to. First of all, I love the way you described it, because that's exactly how we see it. The way it's done practically is is, uh, simple to explain. There are two steps. The first step is to understand the patient. I'll change the term. I'll call it the sufferer. The suffering person is suffering in a way which is one characteristic of the disease if they have one. So you can give it a diagnosis. But that's not very specific. That's generalized. Their suffering is also expressed in a very specific, idiosyncratic, personal way. And it's that description that you're after. Set into the context of their life. And that starts before they were born. It actually starts with mum and dad and the twinkle in their eyes. And then the meeting of the egg and the sperm. And then the gestation period during the pregnancy. And then the birth. And then the childhood. And then eventually you come to the person who's come to see you, who could actually be a child, of course. But I'm just thinking most of of the people who come to see us, most of the fellow sufferers who walk through my door, most of them uh, have developed their suffering in in a, a very detailed and specific way. And that needs to be understood. We need to understand how they experience their suffering. Mm. in the context of who they are. What's come to me is, you know, like in um, Swedish, there's sort of like a hundred words for the for snow, to describe snow. Is that the same kind of thing with homeopathy? Like if somebody has a suffering, there's lots of different words or different ways to describe that suffering. Absolutely. Totally true. And describing is not only words, it's also in, in gestures, body gestures, their hand gestures, how they describe their sensation. That's language as well. That's one half of it. The process will take maybe an hour and a half with a, with a fellow sufferer, maybe. Sometimes it takes several shots at it to get it. Some people are not very good at describing what it is that they experience. So it may take a little longer. Okay, that's one half. The other half is knowing how things in nature experience themselves. Now, not being sentient, or at least some of them are, but most of them aren't. I mean, salt that we put on our food is a non-sentient but highly medicinal substance. It talks to us in bold capitals, colored red. We use it for many things, not just to satisfy our taste buds. We use it, for instance, as a preservative. It's probably the main preservative, most common preservative that we have. We need to know, let's say, about salt. We need to know how it experiences its saltiness through the human experience of it because we are treating human sufferers mostly of course we treat animals too so the human experience in the human tongue will be the one we want so we carry out what Hahnemann called his German name for it is eine Prüfung and Prüfung translates literally as approving basically it's what we get in our pharmacy if you look up a medicine for instance and look at the side effects that is a crude proof proving of the substance. So this is the information we're after. It's not what it tries to cure. It's what it creates along the way. 
Okay, so if you take a lot of salt, you will experience many symptoms. These are the things we're interested in. How does salt express its experience of being itself through the human form? And I guess it experiences itself individually through every individual. It'll never be the same for for two Ah, different people. Good point. So approving is a group of people. Approvings on one person are not so valuable. You want a group of people. It's great if you have 20, say. It's usually about enough. You want men and women. You want different age groups, ideally. And you want to take all the, the symptoms that they create as if it was one person speaking, whereas actually it's 20 people. Especially you're interested in common symptoms. If of the 20, six people have the same experience, you know that's a very reliable symptom of salt as it expresses in the human being. If you or I take salt as the stuff that we put on our food, we're unlikely to get much of a proving other than that we'll become thirsty. But there is a level at which uh, information is experienced which is, not, which is non-physical. Let's call it spiritual. Like the words for snow, we don't have very many. We have the material world and the spiritual world as two. It's like transpositions of each other. According to my understanding, everything has a spiritual dimension and a physical manifestation of that spiritual dimension, rather than vice versa. But whether the arrow of causality, if you will, goes this way mm. or that way doesn't matter because each interpenetrates the other, and they are actually symbiotic or oneness. But they do have, they can be seen as two separates. So the question here is, how would we get salt to experience, or how would we get ourselves to experience the experience of salt at at more than just the physical level? What's the spiritual dimension? So what homeopaths do, and this is where strangeness comes in, this is where we lose the general public who can understand that like cures like. Theoretically, that should make sense. We lose them when when we talk about the subtle level. So what homeopaths do, they call it potentizing. They take the remedy and potentize it. It's a physical process, but it results in a separation of the material from the spiritual. So that the spiritual can be, the information at the spiritual level can be absorbed by us, because we, of course, are beings that continuously experience the world as physical reality and as spiritual reality Mm. simultaneously. I think probably the reason why the general public struggles so much is because we've kind of dumped the spiritual side of who we are. We're very sort of left-brained about who we are, what we are, how we are. And I think it's very difficult for people to actually understand that there is this invisible realm, which is potent. It's a very alive. It's very connecting. In my understanding, that's been a a real creation of suffering for us. And in my experience of talking to a lot of other cultures, for instance, Buddhists, I mean, I always come back to the Buddhists, you know, they have an acceptance that something else is there, or the Hindus have an acceptance that something else is there. And a lot of the Native American Indian tribes do. I mean, their life might be hard and hard, but they don't seem to have this existential suffering that we do. No, they don't, do they? And to take a subject close to your heart, 
They have no fear of death. I'm really curious because, you know, this podcast is called Embracing Your Mortality. I just feel unless we do start to embrace our mortality, how can we actually even begin to live? Indeed. If we're so terrified. I mean, I'm just curious about how homeopathy can actually help us to reconnect. It's really simple. Disconnect means from, as we understand it, it means being stuck in the past. So you're stuck in the past experiences that you had. They shape you. They shape you in your, the memories that you hold in your brain, but they say shape you in the many other respects as well. Indeed, the way in which you think of yourself is, is in the past. I am called Misha Normand. That's in the past. That's the name that was given to me and it's traveled with me and I identify with it. I'm identified with something in the past. If I step now into the present, Misha Norland disappears. And so, of course, does everything that is of the past. If I'm in the present, it's not there. Mm. It's all a chimera and we are stuck in it and we stick ourselves to it because we believe it to be the truth of us. And it quite clearly is not. It's a manufactured version of what happened in the past. Now, a disease is just like that. It's something that we didn't overcome at the time. A good way to overcome it at the time is to have a febrile response and a good acute that could kill us. But if we survive, we've overcome it. We can leave it in the past. But if it's still with us, as if it were present, it shapes the way we are. It gives us the shape of salt, for instance, mm. which is not who we are. It's the experience we had in the past to which we cling. So you could say that all diseases are clinging to something that was. Now, the homeopathic medicine, which has been, I don't, the word spiritualized is, we would say potentized. Another word that is used for the potentized remedy is dynamized, and perhaps that's even better. It's become dynamic. It then it, it addresses what happened in the past, because that's the pattern that, it, that you got stuck with. So the past, in the shape of your personal mm. past, and health or disease history, or part of the past, encounters the present salt in the now. There it is. Now, which is more powerful? The now. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened to the past? If like cures like, and that's the basis, you have to say, I'll give this a shot. Then the more powerful one in the form of the salt in the now yeah. encounters the less powerful one in terms of the salt of the past. Yeah. And you are now salt free. It's a shift of understanding or a shift of acceptance. Or I'm curious about cancer, actually, especially stage four cancer, when people have done absolutely everything they can to do whatever they can to cure it through conventions and goodness knows what else. How could homeopathy help with that? If the patient is still alive and has a vital response to their surroundings, homeopathy can help. Some people in stage four have gone past that threshold. and then. They have to accept that they're going to go, but some of them are not, and they'll they'll they'll, they'll you often say they're you know they're fighting still, and these are the ones who can be helped. But the best way to help them is to find the remedy that they've always needed. Mm. It'll be in the past. You could say it's like the obsessive thought they had. Psyche yeah. and soma are are completely locked together. Actually, if you can grab hold of one through the other. Gosh, it's so powerful, isn't it? When you look at it, and it's also so subtle because, you know, modern medicine's just in your face, isn't it? I always feel like modern medicine is very um, yang. Homeopathy or even holistic medicine is very much more yin, much more yielding, much more subtle, as you say. 
And I see, I can see how that works because for me, the natural world has so many energetic levels to it. And so do we, but we've just forgotten that connection. Truly, truly true. Hey, I'm just reminded of when we moved uh, to this, this village. We've only been here two and a half years. There was a, a, a talk that was booked in the town hall for the gardeners, and it was about plants. And the speaker forgot about him. So we waited for the speaker who didn't arrive. I turned up because I was interested in, in her, because I Googled her and I thought this, this woman sure knows about her subject, she should be interesting. But she didn't come and we all just looked at each other. And I said, well, you know what? I could talk to you about homeopathy. And they said, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> we can't pay you, they said. And I said, that's not, that's absolutely no problem. Delighted to be doing. So I, I got to talk to them about homeopathy. And I said, you know, homeopathy is terribly simple. It's like yours, like, and you just match the symptoms of the sufferer with the symptoms that you discover through the provings. And, and when they match, hey, presto, that, that's easy. And I could talk to you about certain remedies, like mm. arnica, which is the mm. remedy that you should all have in your home if you haven't got it already. Um, because it's the one for contusions and bruises and when you've fallen down the stairs or when you've broken something, you know, it's just the first remedy to go to. Um, and we all have accidents, so that's why mm. it's good to have it. And maybe some of you have and some hands went up. And I said, that's great. Well, what I would like to talk to you about is dynamization. I'd like to talk to you about that which you cannot see mm. and the power of the unseen. I'd like to talk to you about... What happens when you're in the presence of Winston Churchill and he gives you one of those wonderful speeches we all react to, or to take a dark one, Adolf Hitler at Nuremberg. You know, everybody, Zeke yeah, Heil on this, yeah. because of the energy. And the energy may be focused from him. He might be the epicenter of it, but it's actually something that happens with everybody all together. We all do it together. That's its power. Because of my own interest in end of life and death and dying, I'm really curious about how homeopathy can help people overcome their fear of death. They have to overcome their fear of life because death is only something that life has produced to scare the shit out of you. I'm quoting Urubindu there. He said that. I thought it was such a wonderful quote. In the death situation, there are two, there are two approaches. One is to, is to investigate the entire case, the whole case. But if you just get to see this person, in their moments before death, there isn't time to do that. So then you would just look at how they're experiencing their fear, say. What is, what is the experience? And match that with something in nature that has that experience. But it may be a small case. But anyway, if you have a bit of time, find out what remedy they've always needed all their life and give them that. And they can let go of the life that they've been leading all the time. They let go of the personal and enter the collective. That's another massive shift of understanding, isn't it? You know, it isn't just about us and dying, you know, that we, that we do go back to some form of collective and we probably don't know what that is, but there is that sense of collective and that would release so many people from a fear of dying if they just understood that, that we are all massively connected to the collective. And I would imagine homeopathy is incredibly helpful around that. Yes, I, I, it is. I have personal experience of that. A lot of people are talking about a shift in consciousness these days that, I mean, we all know that climate change is knocking on our door and it's things aren't right out there. <laughs> They've probably never been right, but they're particularly, in my understanding of it, particularly not right now, expressed through nature. 
And I'm just wondering as a homeopath, how you perceive what's happening in these changes. Okay, so speaking as a homeopath, I don't have that much to say because homeopathy is very specifically person to person. It's about the individual. I know what I might say to an individual um, if they were very concerned about these things and had formulated no coherent thoughts. I might help them to put words to what they were thinking. They have to be their words, not mine, really. And that would be fine. They are we in the role of a therapist there? But basically getting into what's going on now. Saddened, by the way, I'm depressing, but I'm saddened how a lot of therapy is constantly about talking, uh, is about illuminating the past. You know, we've been doing that since Freud told us, showed us how. And it's very interesting, but has it actually mm-hmm. cured anybody? I don't think so. Not to my knowledge. Spiritual teachings are, are it's in order to go there. So the the investigator of, of spirit in in matter, especially in human matter, is something I, I, I it's not the only pathing speaking, it's the observer mm. of us mm. talking about us. Our attitude towards um, death is absolutely key. It's about not being frightened, basically. Whether it's death or something else that's frightening, doesn't matter. It's about not being in fear, uh, except when it's appropriate, because sometimes it is. Sometimes there is a lion and, it, and he is chasing you. That's not an imagined fear of the future or, or yeah. something that's hanging over from the past. But yeah. what, what's your take on, on the climate, the, the, the changes that we're experiencing? It's about being in the now. What can I do about this crisis? I can be in the now. And from the now, I can be um, effective in doing something about the world crisis. Mm. I think Greta Thunberg is a good example of somebody who's pretty much in the now. Mm. What, what an amazing phenomenon she is. Yeah, so what can we do if we're not Greta and given her part to, to be of help? Because we would like to be, wouldn't we? We'd like to do something for our children's sake. I went to India, you know. I've been many, many, many times to India. India is a great place for homeopathy. It's really doing well there. Um, So I've made made many journeys to India, but there's one in particular that I'm thinking about. I met a a man who had a following. He didn't want to have a following. He always said, I'm not a guru. And when people congregated around him, he'd walk away from them. But he developed diabetes and he lost the sensation in the soles of his feet. So he was apt to fall over. So he couldn't do what he normally did, escape his followers. So they started gathering around him like flies on flypaper. And I was one of those flies that turned up one day. And what I discovered was that there was a great deal of laughter. And I just spent the whole time I was there, which wasn't very long, maybe maybe five days, smiling. And it hurt. I was unaccustomed to all this smiling. I remember the ache of smiling. Just every, every, every time I was with him, I was just enchanted and delighted. And I left saying, well, it's really marvelous to meet a real human being. Yes, this is a real human being. He's, he's just here now and he's just, he's real. Most people, you get the, the little bits that you're not so sure about, but this was total throughput. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, something happened. I lost that sadness that had always accompanied me like the shadow follows. You know, I got like Peter Pan, the shadow went, but um, it was in me. I was at, it was attached to me and I was attached to it and it had disappeared. 
And it never came back? Yeah, it hasn't come back. I've mm. had to work at it ever since. Mm. By work at it, I mean... And I started off by saying, well, it must be India. The fact that I've, that I've been to India. But if I was honest, it wasn't. It was the presence of this man. And his message was terribly, terribly simple. And I've been saying it through this, throughout this interview. Be in the now. That's it. Misha Norlin, homeopath and very wise man. My next guest is children's author Jackie Gray, whose whole focus is about helping children to understand and manage their feelings. The solutions that children come up with for you, those solutions would be the very thing that would most likely help them when they're feeling like that. You've been listening to Embracing Your Mortality, and I look forward to you joining me again next time. You can find out more about me through my website, suebrain.co.uk. In the meantime, here's to us all living more consciously for a better world. The Embracing Your Mortality podcast was researched and recorded by Sue Brain and produced and edited by the Podcast Den.